You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hey there, Max. All right, welcome to the Abyss, boys. I know. Dude, we have far more experience rooting for bad teams than you do. This is whatever. It's a bad uh, year. Write it off. Um, no. No, I'm going to panic. Okay. You have fun. Just uh It's it's going to be terrible. And I'm going to I'm going to look stupid in like 6 months, but Okay. Yeah, just ca- calm down. It's it'll be okay. Like Hey, look at it this way. Oh, at least we oh. have to start a freshman quarterback against Bama. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, not that, that game's not going to get played. No. No way. Yeah, uh, yeah it's just there's two. Are we going to play Arkansas this week? Yes, I think so. I mean, Arkansas, you know, they have some COVID positives all of a sudden this week. Yeah, but I read they still expect to play, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. Cool. Um. Yeah. But yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, Alabama's probably not going to play. Florida's up in the air. It depends. That's cold. They don't have to play those games. You know, you, you know, it's yeah. Because what we're at twelve. Actually, Florida's officially scheduled. So, but yeah, twelve nineteen is the uh, the what you call it the uh, SEC championship. Yeah, you know, I mean, we got to prepare just in case we're uh, we're in that game. Well, no, I mean, we'll twelve nineteen <laughs> right. is also the makeup day. It, it's the makeup day, so Alabama will be busy, so they can't, you know. Yeah, they will have. Then again, other... it's, it's Bama. They could play both games and you know not. Yeah, probably. So. Yeah, they they could probably uh, play us in the morning and then win the SEC championships in the evening. Yeah, Florida will score points on them though. Yeah. So they they they're gonna have to play that game first. No, oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. We're the we're the encore, the encore presentation. We're going to be out there chanting LSU. We're going to run out there. Bring Mike on for We're one game. We're the palate cleanser. That's right. It's the amuse-bouche. Because <laughs> what is LSU football but just an amusing bouche? <laughs> is that what that means? And with I that. <laughs> podcast no it, it does not mean that <laughs> i'm your host poser making up words well i'm not making up a moose bouche but i am making up what it means with me as always my producer chris howdy going, howdy let's go in all right and now from i guess the wilds of outside new york <laughs> yep max how's it going it's uh it's it's getting panicky all right now but... uh, Calm down. We're bad. Move on. That's really all I got to tell you. All my other teams are bad. This was the one. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, you root for the Mets. You should know how to do this. I mean, I know this. How do you? Why do you think I'm so panicked? I don't want to do that again. I already root for one Mets and the Giants. Yeah, yeah, but the, when the Giants are bad, they win Super Bowls. So yeah, that was decades. That was a decade ago. That's all. Yeah, they did it. They did it twice. Yeah, but all those guys are are retired and. Uh, it's all every it's everything is terrible. All of my teams suck, except maybe the Rangers in three years. They'll it's, find a way to blow it. Don't worry. I know. <laughs> Max, this is well, all that, very. Uh, what have you done for me lately? I mean, where's your? I know. Yeah, like, come on. Did, we did win a title in two thousand. Actually, this year, right? This this calendar year, we won a title, right? This is yeah. true. It was really fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Right, yeah. Calm, yeah, it was fun. All right, calm down. We're bringing in the number three recruiting class in the nation, right? That's unbelievable. Right? I yeah, mean, no, it isn't. It's not. It's not that weird. But, like, it, it, you know what it really is? Like, if it were just the on-the-field stuff, but it's just hits are coming from all different directions. Yeah, we'll get into that hit in just a second. I don't want to belabor that. But, I, like, just from a total football standpoint, this year is weird. It doesn't really count. Don't worry about it. Like, this year's bad. Just go in there with no expectations. Drink a sixer. You know, yeah, enjoy you the know, games. I, start, I started drinking during the games for the first time because, you know, now I don't really need to be, like, Whoa. focused on it. Started drinking during the games. Well, I just Whoa. 21. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I started drinking the games when I turned 21, too. <laughs> I mean, my school nudge, has like nudge, wink, wink. My school does not have like sports. We have D three sports, and our soccer team is good, and I like those guys. But like, you know, we get we good turnouts, like forty people. Yeah, no, it's the good news is is that almost everyone around the program, and I even think around the nation, are just viewing this season as a blip. Yeah. It's just it's this isn't real. I mean, look, Penn State's terrible. Michigan's terrible. Well, Michigan is. Well, Michigan, actually, that might be a real thing. Um, yeah, that's for the They've been terrible. I mean, Oklahoma's bad. That's true. I mean, just really everyone except for Bama's bad. Clemson hasn't looked great. They're just muddling through because the ACC is so terrible. Yeah, I mean, you got – like, this is – the fact that we're talking about this being the year that a group of five team maybe makes the playoffs just kind of underscores. Dude, Marshall, they look good. They're, they're fun. Like the fourth best group of five team, too. Yeah, they look – they're fun. Yeah, but they actually – you know, they, they actually kind of play a little bit more of a schedule. I, I know playing in the MAC is tough. I know that sounds stupid. Marshall plays in the MAC? Yeah, they play in the MAC. I thought they were in, like, Conference USA. Well, they used. To, I mean, I think they were in the MAC now. They got moved. No, because the MAC just started, and I remember watching Marshall like week one. Did they move to the Conference USA? They used to be in the MAC. Anyway, hang on. Let's see. Yeah, uh, hang on. Let's let's see. Yeah, they're in Conference USA now. They used to be in the MAC. They moved. Actually, they used to be in a lot of conferences. They moved all over the place. Conference USA is not as good, even though it's kind of the home of some fun coaches. 
for now. Totally. Yeah, I mean, that's what it, I mean, but that's exactly what yeah, you that's want. True. That's, yeah. you, you want guys to graduate from there. It's it's the place where you know you make your bones. But yeah, Conference USA is. Is Liberty in Conference USA? Um, looking at it right now, no. Um, God, man, Liberty. What, who they whacked what Virginia Tech a while ago? They're undefeated. Their- yeah, I think they are, but isn't you know, I, I've come to the conclusion that Hugh Freeze is just good at this and really bad at being like, a person. Um, like yeah. he, he wasted all his competence points on coaching a football team. Liberty is actually an independent. Yeah, that's right. Liberty's an independent, and this year they have beaten both Syracuse and Virginia Tech. Uh, Syracuse is is yeah, they're, they're bad, but when you're Liberty, let's they beat uh, Southern Miss by uh, 21 points, and uh, they will play NC State this weekend. And, and, and they have that, too. And that's actually going to be an inter- kind of a fun game. Yeah, if they beat NC State, I don't I don't see who can... Just, they play UMass after that. I don't... Man, they've played a pretty good schedule. UMass is the worst team in the FBS. Or how about this one? Liberty is right now ranked number 21 in the country. Right now, scheduled on December 5th, they're going to play number 15... Coastal Carolina. That's going to be awesome. That game's going to roll. I mean, think about that. Liberty versus Coastal is a top 25 matchup right now. Yeah, and uh, LSU uh, Texas wouldn't be. Yeah, and that's kind of gets into my whole point of this year. This year's weird. Just deal with it. It's There are no ramifications for being bad this year. Yeah. But it, this is, uh, o could write another book, though, if he, get, if he really kind of it would be more interesting, but he can't yeah. write it now. He he has to wait he ten years. Yeah. And speaking of more interesting, then let's go into the the great Chinese curse of "May You Live in Interesting Times." We should at least talk about the USA Today article. Yeah. It's it's it. It's just it's just such a an encompassing failure of the university that kind of pervades into every little nook and cranny of the institution. Um, it's just that there's, there's, there's abuse and negligence in every single hall. And it's, it's, I, and I, the sad thing is if you look across the country, I bet you find, you know, a majority of schools have a bunch of stories like this and it's just, and that's not to take, a, that's not to say LSU shouldn't be held uniquely accountable. Cause you know, they got obviously, you know, the findings are what they are. But it's just it's just a whole culture that needs to be rebuilt and reexamined that has a lot of perverse incentives. Yeah, I thought what was interesting about it is that I don't want to say the last half, but the last third of the article is about non-athletes, right? And it really felt like an article where they the splash is the football team because obviously that's. That's what gets people interested. That's what's going to get you hits. Right. And that's what's going to draw all the eyeballs. But really, it's a failure of LSU as a university not enforcing its sexual assault policies and its failures under Title IX because right. they're obligated obligated to investigate. So it's a failure about LSU as a university, but no one really cares. It's a story about the football team. Right. And honestly, when you read the football stuff, I don't want to say it's not that bad because it's bad. It's less bad than the other stuff. Yeah, it's less bad than the other stuff. It's like the Darius guy stuff is its own category of awful. Yeah, right. 
And, but it's and awesome. Drake Davis too, but he at least he was eventually kicked off the team. Yeah, and but the Drake Davis stuff, there's a I don't want to once again, I don't want as I wrote today, they're not gonna throw you a parade for this. It's still not good enough. But the timeline is not awful. Where you have a complaint in April the football team is clearly aware in April. By August, he's arrested based on the Title IX and complaint. And September, he's off the team. Right. That's well, not the – once again, I don't want to say it's it's not good enough. I mean, it, it should he should have been off the team. Honestly, they, they should have known about it a year ago. And I think they kind of did, which is could explain a lot of his playing time. Yeah. But if you actually read what they have evidence of in that article – August to September to kick a player to kick a player accused of sexual assault off the team is not completely unreasonable. Yeah, I mean there's 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 a whole evidence gathering time period for investigators that is a lot longer than I think it seems in retrospect. Um, yeah, and it's again it is it isn't good enough, but in it, it, this that's the kind of the timeline of these kind of things is a little bit easier in hindsight. Yeah, uh, and also. I think what in the in the run to because no, you don't want to be the person who's there saying, "Well, sexual assault is bad," but because no right. one's going to hear that. And that's one of those things where the only thing that matters is what comes after the but. Yeah. So that said, I'm now going to throw in a but. In these circumstances, no one cares about due process of the person accused, and that's. That stuff's important. Like it is important, and and five months I don't think is an unreasonable amount of time to investigate and throw a guy off the team. Yeah, particularly because he didn't play. It wasn't like they were he was still going out there and catching touchdown passes and you know hugging cheerleaders. He, it was clear pretty much from August where this was going. I mean, he has a hearing in I think July. I think the writing was on the wall already. Yeah, and I mean, and I don't know what. You know, new Title IX reforms had to do with any of it, but I know that they made, they kind of altered the process a little bit. But like, it, it due process is important. Um, but what USA Today really got at, and I think, like you said, that they used kind of the football team as as you know the hook, which you kind of need to do in journalism. It's it's a consumer business, but it's just this wholesale. Title IX department failure that is, like you've said on Twitter a million times at this point, is going to have to be priority number one for any incoming in, uh, administrators over the next, you know, however long. Yeah. It's reformed. And I think that's definitely the worst part of it because the, the part that was much more researched and also horrifying was the non-athlete story and how several women were saying – and particularly kind of what happens after the article and people start talking on Twitter, there are many people who are just saying, I felt like I couldn't come forward because right. every step along the way, I wasn't encouraged. And there is some innuendo in the article towards the, cause they talk about nine players and they only name, well, they name all nine of them, but they really only go into detail in two. And then there's parish where they say he gets kicked off the team. So those are the three and then they just kind of throw out six names. And that little bit was kind of done by innuendo. It's like, look how terrible LSU handled non-athlete complaints. Therefore, they're doing the same thing here. 
Right. Which is not a completely unreasonable assumption, but at the same time, it's still an assumption. And I, I'm really uncomfortable talking about that because we are totally in the land of innuendo and speculation. Yeah, and didn't they say something along the lines of, like, Ray Parker or somebody else wasn't disciplined and, it turned, and like, they were kicked off the team? Like, it's yeah, not was... this person was disciplined. Yeah, and also we never we don't know what all the disciplines are because right, you know that's... Ed is notorious for keeping stuff in house. You know, you get to a game and a guy didn't play, and then you know the next day, you know, on his Tuesdays with Ed, he's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, you know this guy was suspended." Right. So he, he's not very good about that. Um, but I do think what was really alarming the Drake Davis is where they really go into detail. What's really alarming is that there's an unnamed tennis player who's assaulted and she goes to her coach yeah. and they don't do anything. Yep. And that's horrifying. Right. Just and, horrifying. And and your coach is somebody, it goes beyond on court, on field, whatever instruction. It's it's somebody that you, re- that, one, if you're a parent, you entrust your kid to. Yeah, they were recruited just like football players. Right. Like, you know, that tennis coach went into their home and said, I'm going to take care of your daughter. Yep. And completely failed. And that is completely inexcusable. Uh, and that's why I don't have as much problem of like Mickey Joseph being there for Drake Davis. That That is his job. He said, hey, I'm going to look out for him. I don't think Mickey Joseph is being inappropriate by being – Drake Davis's representative at the Title IX hearing, particularly because the rules are written that Drake Davis is allowed to have a faculty or LSU employee as his representative. That's exactly the role that Joseph should be playing. So it's, once again, it's a very bad look. But I do think he's actually acting appropriately in that context so long as everyone, so long as you file the Title IX complaint, you're doing an investigation, you're not intimidating witnesses or hiding anything. And I think that's where you get into the thing is also what's intimidation. I mean, a lot of the time it's very subtle. It's, you know, it's not like someone shows up to your house and says, you know, don't move forward with this. It's just this pervasive. It took two months to have a hearing. Now is that it took two months because, Hey, wheels of justice move slowly sometimes. So does a bureaucracy. Or is that two months because they didn't want to look into it? And I don't think, it depends on what side you're on of what it feels like and what it looks like. And the truth is kind of, it's probably both. Yeah, I I, I agree. So it's ugly. It's terrible. And I am deeply ashamed of LSU as a university. You're right. This isn't as, you know, myopically focuses the Baylor stuff where it's, you know, Art Briles specifically, but it's it's and it, I'd also like to take the opportunity to you know applaud the bravery of the women who came forward. Um, yes, because you know every time somebody comes forward with their story that positively impacts you know a hundred survivors who read it. Um, so that's that was obviously extremely brave and just yeah, you know, yeah, and they know if when they come forward, there's going to be you know a hundred jerks like me who are going to say prove it. Or you're not telling – not even you're not telling the truth. This is – I'm not standing up here saying you're you're a liar, but I'm still saying, hey, show me evidence. Right. And that's – no one wants to go through that. That is a horrible thing 
for any for any victim of any crime to go through, and particularly one that involves your body. It's just a just a a terrible thing. Period. And the one thing I continue to be horrified by is is remember during the pre-draft process when there were these rumblings of character concerns with Darius Geis and nobody knew what that meant outside of, you know, the no. And we all thought it was like, Oh, people, cause he's got a goofy personality and plays Fortnite a lot. Yeah. Just imagine, you know, I've, I've in retrospect, I feel horrible for his victims having to see everybody say, Oh, you know, he's the nice yeah, guy. And he's Darius guys. I mean, Darius right. guys was beloved. Right, exactly. That's the thing. It's- I mean, Darius Geis is one that really cuts to the core of a fan. And something I I always try and get into is that we don't know them. Right. Like, we actually don't. And, you know, my lesson as a kid was Kirby Puckett. My, I, I loved Kirby Puckett. He was a great player. You know, he was just fun to watch, but he always had the big smile. And everybody loved Kirby. And it turned out Kirby was – you know, assaulting his family in truly horrifying ways. And Kirby Puckett was a monster. And he, no, but he was the guy that they rubbed his head. And Darius Geis was very much that person for LSU. We, he was genuinely beloved by this fan base. And yeah, it really feels like a betrayal to find out that he has done just horrifying, horrifying things that just cannot be justified. Yeah, and I, I mean, under no circumstances. He, he's, he's, you know, strike him from the records of history, bad. Yes. It's just, it's, you know, number five redacted on the roster. It's, 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 and it's horrifying. And, yeah. and you feel horrified at yourself unfairly. Because yeah, because you were taken in. But I, I just, it's just so hard to imagine what a victim goes through when they see their violator be so universally beloved. Yeah, that, that's the amazing. And and that's also what makes it that much harder to come forward because everyone's going to disbelieve it right up. Oh, not Darius Geis. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I honestly cannot think of a player who is more beloved than Darius Geis over the past 10 years until – I mean, just – Including personality. I mean, there are players who are better, you know, higher profile, but I'm just talking just genuinely loved. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to come up with a guy. I mean, the only one I could maybe think of is Clyde Edwards Elair, but. Yeah, I, I was going to say Devin White, maybe. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, like, I think, it's, yeah, but we're talking guys who are, yeah, foundational, like this is why I take my son to the game kind of loved. Right. And, and yeah, that, that one. And, and that goes back to it. If you're not in the room, you don't know. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Bill Cosby. Yeah. How yeah. beloved really Bill Cosby was for so many decades. And then you find out what a horrifying monster he was behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and it's just like you feel, you feel like you contributed to the, you know, that monstrosity because you fed that ego and you helped build that false front because you bought into it. You know, you, you made it a little bit stronger with your fandom. So it almost makes you, you know, it makes you complicit and that's just awful. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, and that's kind of the unfair thing we all do to ourselves after these. But, I mean, it's the only thing we can do is, you know, when it becomes clear that what happened is, you know, take take the right side when we have all the information. That's really the only thing we can do. Yeah, you would like to see LSU as a as a university just be better about handling sexual assault complaints of women on its campus. Yeah, and and just the and, lack of urgency. Yeah, and that goes beyond the football team. It, it's, I mean, it, when Drake Davis, you know, hits the tennis player, the tennis player goes to their coach. That tennis coach needs to be filing something. Yeah, immediately by the end of that day. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll even give him, you know, a day because you know maybe they get reported at four thirty and you know the yeah. office is closed. I mean. I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt because of just generally I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but to not report that at all for there to be no complaint on file is just, it's inexcusable. And it seems like that is, that's the problem with the culture right there. And that is campus wide. Right. So be better LSU. And let's talk about more positive things. The LSU soccer had a nice little run through the tournament. Did you watch yeah, it? I didn't, but I was I was like you know following everybody tweeting about it. Let's see, yeah, try to try to do a segue there um, from something awful to something fun. And yeah, LSU was. I'm not going to claim that I've been watching LSU soccer all season. I haven't. And they came in as the 14th seed, and I kind of tuned into the Alabama game as a joke which was, hey, this is going to be the only LSU-Alabama football game this weekend. And honestly, they were they were kind of outplayed. They, were, they had a goal early lead, but, you know, they were kind of in a shell. But managed to win that game. Beat Ole Miss in a really great game. And today, when we're recording this on Tuesday, finally fell to A&M. But honestly, the A&M game was, was great as well. Uh, LSU, I don't want to say controlled the pace of play. That's not exactly. It was kind of back and forth. They just couldn't crack A&M's defense. Their back line is just – it was without weakness. Yeah, that's 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 frustrating. It's just – I mean, yeah. I, I manage our our soccer team at school, and I've seen a few games like that. It's Yeah, they, they did a lot of things right. It was just they never got that one shot where you're like – they didn't even force a tough save. There was never a moment you're like, this is where they're going to score. Yeah. It was always one pass away, and that's a frustrating game to watch, and you can kind of feel it slipping away through most of the second half. But still a great run. It was a lot of fun. So while terrible things are happening on campus, there was at least something fun going on with LSU in the last couple of days. Yep, and that's going to be it for a little bit. Yeah, because now we have to get back to the normal depressing of just LSU football in general. So they miss out on Bama. Yeah, that's that's mostly good. I did want to see Bo Pelini, though, give up like 66 points just to make sure, just to look, make sure we get them. Well, it, they're bad. Uh, looking at it right now, in the, the SEC uh, total defense, Ole Miss is allowing 7.2 yards a play. That's the worst defense in conference. That's LSU insane. – is 13th at 7.19. Yeah, and 
you know, this is the hard part. They play still have to play Florida, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M, so that's going to go up. Yeah, yeah, they still have to play some really prolific offenses. So Arkansas might be their best chance to win a game. Yeah, and they're not going to win that. I doubt it. I mean, uh, I, it's I, Ole Miss. No. The Ole Miss will be a shootout. Yeah, I can't say no. They won't win because I mean, look, they there's no predicting these kinds of games this year, but I don't know. Yeah, they're a bad team. If there are still the same kind of communication errors and miscues on on defense that there have been with basically what like two weeks off at this point, that's that's going to be that's going to be getting into cartoon. Yeah, but, but yeah, they had two weeks off. But like they said, they were playing defensive tackles on the offensive line. You know, they were playing walk-ons all over the place because they were had so many people in quarantine. Yeah, that's true. I forgot. It, 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 it wasn't like they got two weeks yeah. off and hey, they all got together and figured things out. Like they were disjointed as heck. This yeah. wasn't. That's not a real couple weeks off. You're right. It, it, it's it, yeah. I think they're going to be just as confused now because I don't think anybody knows where anybody's playing. Yeah, we had the punter at quarterback. Yeah, that's just not a good look. That and can never happen. That's never. That's not real. I mean, hey, you know, he was a baseball pitcher. He can throw. He can sling it. I know, but like, yeah, I know. I, I'm, I'm with you. But really, what it comes down to is you. Have, you have three major problems on this team right now. Um, one, you can't stop the run at all. Uh, two, your pass defense is awful. And then third, your offensive line is garbage, and because of that, you can't really run any offensive plays. Right, but, and your and your quarterback. I mean, maybe if you had Joe Burrow, the elite pressure sensor that he was, you can kind of figure it out. But you got, you know, you have two freshmen back there. But honestly, I, as bad as the final score was against Auburn, I thought both of them played pretty well. Eh, for I, I mean, the situation they were put in. Yeah, I mean they. You know, they were making good reads and stuff. I think, you know, with the last interception that uh, um, Finley threw was, you know, just, you know. It got bad at the line. Yeah, yeah. what's going to happen? You know, what are you going to do? Um, but he was actually playing really well until, you know, the the flood the floodgates opened. And honestly, it wasn't even a whole lot of floodgates. It was just kind of – it was a couple of bad plays. And, again, it's because they can't block. And, once again, I don't think the – I don't think the the quarterbacks were great, but I don't think they were nearly as bad as their numbers would have you believe. This this was not the Brandon Harris game. Uh, no, it was not. Yeah, I I just think the offense is too good for that schematically, and I think they they kind of know what they're doing. Like they're throwing on early downs. They're they're not making it as hard for the kid. Yeah, they're, no, I, yeah, they they know what they're doing. They've got the problem is, is that they've got great skill players. At both running back, wide receiver, and tight end. But if you can't block, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they cannot block. You just get worried about the habits that form. And, you know, the kind of shortcuts they take. Not shortcuts out of laziness, but shortcuts out of the survival processing shortcuts that they take simply to get the ball off. And that can really screw up a player. So that's, that's the big fear. Yeah, I mean, they're going to rotate for the two of them, and yeah, we'll see how they do. Um, I don't know if either if they have anyone left on the schedule that's really 
aggressive pass rush, which is what you would really worry about. Not just good defense, but yeah, but Auburn didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, but and, uh, and Ole Miss is oh, here's the thing: Ole Miss's defense is horrendous. It's it's illegally yeah. bad. Yeah, Ole Miss is bad, and we're almost as bad. We're it, no worse than us. Barely. Defensively. Barely. Defensively. Barely. 7.2 to 7.19. Right, right, but the fact that they're even similar means, you know, hey, look what we're doing to no-name quarterbacks. Connor Basilak looked like, you know, Joe Burrow. But, yeah, when it comes to getting the quarterback, Florida's the best in the conference at it, and A&M's near the top. So that, that bodes well. Even though Florida's defense is actually really bad, but, like, that'll cover it up. Well, I mean, look, LSU's defense is bad, but we're, we're pretty good at getting to the quarterback. Right. It's almost like they forgot that there's other things. Yeah, it really is. It's it's when you get too focused on one thing, other bad things happen. Like Orgeron, in the offseason, was talking about, you know, getting that pass rush. That's why he wanted the 4-3. Right. Well, you got your pass rush. You just can't do anything else. Yeah. It, 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 of course, it's it's the great myth that you can't get a pass rush out of the 3-4. And the idea that, like, you know, you rush the passer, you can figure it out. And that's generally true. It covers up a lot, provided you simply know what your coverages are. Yeah, and they, and they don't. Yeah, so Elsie's is going to play early in the morning. I, I, I recommend a Bloody Mary. Don't get your hopes up. Look, it's a bad year. Everything's about 2021 now. So don't worry about it. Hey, you know, uh, always go with mimosas too. Mimosas are nice too, but uh, you know, I'm not a big champagne guy. I don't... The champagne's just the fancy delivery vehicle for a little orange juice to be with it. That's all. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I like the little fizziness of it, but yeah, we just don't keep champagne in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yes, also perfectly acceptable or, or, you know what, you know, stick to the classics, you know, just get whiskey, just go straight to whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, it's, I'm 21. I'm going to be drinking, like, dumb hard seltzer. It's after 12 o'clock somewhere. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. But it, don't get frustrated by this year. Um, it's a write-off year. There's a lot of good programs that are bad right now. It's the COVID season. We'll get through it. It's just yeah, a matter I, of not panicking now. If they finish well in recruiting, I'll get over it pretty quickly, so... So, yeah. And honestly, if we don't play Alabama, it'll make them very angry. And that's really funny. Hey, 1 0 against Alabama in football this fall so far. That's right. Actually, 1 0 and 1. We tied them in the regular season. I looked it up. Oh, yeah. Okay, whatever. Still undefeated. (laughs) Undefeated. They cannot beat us. They really can't. Yeah, we own them. (laughs) And with that, let's go to the question bag. All right, Vinny Bartles is going to kick us off with what guitar solo does not get the credit it deserves? He votes for Terry Kath's solo from 25 or 6 to 4 and says, with all the 80s love songs, people forget how much Kath could shred in early Chicago. I would like to say that uh, I like riffs a lot better than guitar solos. I think guitar solos, if you're not like a diehard guitarist, are kind of boring. I'm not totally against him, but that's why Keith Richards is the best. He just plays the damn riff. As for a solo that I really like, it doesn't get a, I really like the uh, Joey Santiago, the Pixies. I think he just has a really interesting sound. He doesn't 
play like anybody else. And I, I think his guitar solo in Vamos is great. Uh, legend has it they were throwing tennis balls at his guitars and doing all sorts of weird noises. And it, he makes it a different instrument. And so I'll go with that. Uh, uh, Joey Santiago for the Pixies, Vamos. Alrighty, Max? Yeah, I think I would go with the guitar solo in Killer Queen right where the bridge is. Right. I think I just think it's underrated. It's yeah, it no. took out to yeah. me on first listen. It's not much. It's very subtle and quick, but it's it's very well written and structured. So I like it. Yeah, and what I'll say is like as much as like I love riffs over solos. Uh, I think so for another like famous solo, I think like In My Time of Dying by Led Zeppelin. Right. Where, you know, it, like he plays the where he keeps changing the riff up into the solo. I think that's that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's a good one. Kind of in that same vein of not really wanting to focus so much on the solo, I've always gone back to what Izzy is always doing underneath Slash in Guns oh, N' Roses. That is a good answer. That that is a good answer because yeah, Izzy, his he's his like counter riffs, if you will, and the, just the things he's adding underneath. Adds so much to that sound that you just don't kind of realize the first few times you're listening to it. That is a great answer. Izzy Stradlin's outstanding. All right, so our uh, DFW LSU buddy Poser Studley wants to know, will the rest of this year's basketball signing class, read mainly Sharif O'Deal, become eligible if they are not eligible already? I don't know the rules on this. I tend to believe that everyone becomes eligible until you have reason to believe that they won't. Um, Yeah, let's just, obviously I'm not in their classes. I'm not following them along, but there's too many interested parties for guys to come in and not be eligible. And if they could get someone as disinterested as school as Ben Simmons eligible, I think you can get anybody (laughs) eligible. All right, he has a follow-up to it that basically says, do the NCAA really have anything on the basketball program the more they are silent, the more I am concerned about this process. Well, obviously we don't know because, you know, once again, we're not in the offices. My hunch is they don't. They've been holding stuff over Kansas's head for like five years now. They've been trying to investigate everybody in regards to that hearing, um, to the lawsuit, which LSU wasn't even a party to. They don't have the subpoena power, so they can't get any evidence really on their own. The LSU evidence is pretty weak. It's fairly hearsay, and even though the NCAA doesn't have to honor hearsay rules. I think what really gives me more comfort than anything is that, if you remember before the tournament, they investigated Javante Smart's bank accounts to make him eligible because they were going to hold him out, and they couldn't find anything. Uh, that's If you're clinging to something, that's the thing you cling to, that LSU – gave the NCAA a clear look at Javante Smart and his family's financial records and they couldn't find anything and they had him, they reversed their decision and have him be eligible for the tournament. So I just don't think they have anything. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They, it, as long as they don't take football, they, they can have at it. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. There's also that it's yeah. It's also worth it. And if you look where LSU basketball was for 10 years, you know, ride or die. Yeah, I mean, if they didn't get North Carolina for fictionalizing classes. Yeah, that was awful. If you're not going to go after that, you shouldn't go after anything. 
Yeah, and I mean, there was a lot of schools involved in, in the Nike and Reebok cases, and none of them have gone on probation yet. So Arizona was another one. I think Creighton was involved. They just haven't. Yeah, I'm kind of of the opinion that if there was really a whole lot there, you know how the NCAA likes to have stuff leak out into the press? They have, you know, their more than willing uh, accomplices who are willing to shower yes stories on a school to make that school look bad. So the fact that we're not hearing a whole lot about it makes me think, on the other hand, that there's really just really not, there's really not anything there. Yeah, I, I just don't know what they would have because, you know, they don't have subpoena power, so they can't get records. They Obviously, they could be interviewing people on LSU's campus, but, I mean, who are they getting an interview with? Joe Leva's gone. I mean, maybe, you know, Oliva will rat him out now yeah, that he's no longer there. But then that but, kind of taints his memory and his yeah. tenure there, too. You don't, you don't want to do that to yourself unless there's a compelling enough reason for it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think, think that's going to happen either. Yeah. All right. So Jacob Hippard says, just finished, flipped the script, loved it, and it made me love and admire O more. However, it also raised in my mind the question, well, what happened? And what is it going to take to fix this? What do you think will happen? And what do you think should happen to right the ship? Well, first of all, you have to fire Bo Pelini yesterday. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's and look, there's precedent for doing it now in the pandemic and budgetary strap era with South Carolina firing Will Muschamp. So you do it. You don't think about it. I mean, the second the clock hits zero, zero on the last game, because I guess you don't want to do it now, you, you fire him. That's what you start with. And you cannot replace him with another boomer retread. I mean, you have to you have to get somebody who understands the modern game and who knows how to teach the modern game, and you have to get them in there pretty quickly for recruiting purposes. And you just... He cannot be dogmatically married to a specific style of defense that just, you know... You can do it, but just not in the way that I think he wants to. Well, so he's he can't be married to these kinds of things. He's got to be way more pragmatic like he has been in the past. Yeah, and this dovetails really nicely into Brad Falk's question, which is pretty much along the same lines. Brad says, I've resigned myself to the fact that Pliny will get another year. My main reason being the CEO, meaning Coach O, is married to the forward-down lineman concept of generating pressure. There is no Joe Brady-type young mind bringing innovation to a 4-3 or 4-2-5. All those new concepts derive from a three-down lineman defense, mainly a 3-3-5, which I don't think Orgeron would ever commit to. There is no young stud innovating with a 4-3, so am I wrong thinking we will always be stuck with a retread hire at defensive coordinator? I mean, Brent Pry at Penn State, which, you know, is, I mean, Penn State's terrible right now, but they were great last year. He, he, I mean, he'll do four-down stuff. Jeff Halfley at Ohio State last year did a lot of four-down stuff. So I don't think that's totally true, but at the same time, I mean, I think you're going to have, you have to be a little bit more multiple with your fronts. You can't just be religiously linked to four down fronts on every single snap. I mean, that's just not how this works. So not anymore. So, yeah, he's going to have to shake that. But, I mean, look, he's he's done it on offense. He did bring in Joe Brady, so I hope. But that 
I think the DC hire post Polini is going to tell us a lot about what's going to happen. Yeah, we've talked about this before. I think what was disconcerting is that he hired both Polini and Linehan, who are both just kind of safe retread hires, which seems safe, but actually isn't yeah. safe. You need to keep innovating. I, I, I don't think it was so much that Ed had to have a 4-3 even though I do think he wanted a 4-3, I think he got a little bit tired of just a Randa's bend but don't break. But I think that's just getting upset with the guy you know. I just think he he got too comfortable and just hired guys who wouldn't rock the boat, and he was tired of guys getting hired. Yeah. But that's a good problem to have. You right. want your guys to get hired, and he needs to go back to the what had got him here, which was iron sharpens iron. You know, competition is good. You want guys who want to move up the ladder and get better jobs and become head coaches or in Brady's case, you know, move from, you know, a consultant to an offensive coordinator. That's you want that. And the amount of money that LSU pays for coordinators, they can get another great coordinator. So I think being fearful of a guy getting hired is a terrible way to make a hire because you're hiring someone that nobody else wants. And you should ask yourself why that's happening. And I think O is entitled that he won the, he had just won the national title. He was kind of throwing his weight around. He could do whatever he wanted. I think there's going to be a little bit more scrutiny on his next hire where it's not going to be entirely him. And I think it's going to be, Hey, you need to bring in someone who can challenge you. Cause that's how you got to the top. Right. It's not like you're not going to be able to find another upstart when that guy leaves. I mean, that's what people do all the time. They're, they, they really do grow on trees. Yeah, there's a lot of really great young minds in football we've never even heard of. Right, exactly. But honestly, we're not even the ones that have to discover them. You, we were just talking about you know, Conference USA, the MAC, yeah. you know, Sunbelt. You, you, you dip into those conferences and say, okay, who's, who's doing well? I'm going to take that guy. You know, you can look at like Cincinnati's playing great defense. You you don't think you can take the Cincinnati defensive coordinator? Yeah, you can. I mean, it, he's he's kind of Luke Fickle's puppet because Luke Fickle's a defensive guy. But I mean, that's who you learn from. Yeah, right. But yeah, you you think you can't win a bidding war with the University of Cincinnati? Yeah, I mean, you better be able to uh, win that bidding war. I mean, look, the guy's he's also really young. He's Highly regarded. Wait, no, is he? Yeah, yeah. I might be mixing him up with somebody else. Yeah, it's one a former player. Um, yeah, Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman. Yeah. He, yeah. No, he's he's got to be at the top of your list. But the, the point is, is yeah, I think O got a little burnt by guys looking elsewhere. But that's not the worst thing in the world. Right. You want guys looking. Uh, you want guys looking elsewhere as long as they're looking up the chain. You know his guys got promoted. Aranda got a head coaching gig. Brady, you know, got an NFL offensive coordinator's job. Let's. Yeah, I mean it means they did a good job. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. When guys do good things, they get hired, and everyone, you know, the the rising tide raises all boats. And I think Orgeron got a little bit scared. And he needs to go back to that. And look, it's, this is the thing, you know, why Saban's always good is that Saban lives, breathes nothing but football 365 days a year. And right. I've, that's a terrible way to live your life. But if you want to beat Saban, that's what it takes. 
Yeah. And I think Ed this year had a lot of distractions and I don't think he was living 365 football. I don't blame him for that because I wouldn't want to. So, you know, be a person, go off, live your life. But there are repercussions to that. You don't right. need to be honest football coach for that much longer. If that's how you run things. Yeah. And it, it, it's not a human's job. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's a football robot's job. All right. So getting away from football for a moment, Brad Falk has a non-football question and is, what is the one album you cannot live without? And he mentions that back in high school and college, his Weezer Blue Album CD kept getting lost slash stolen, and he would re- would replace it every time. So if an album went missing, which one would be the one you purchase again every time? Oof, that's a lot. But, uh, right. <laughs> like, I could instantly just rattle off a dozen or so. It, that's yeah, really hard I, to pick just one. I would say, like, to me, like, like the Violent Femmes first album is really important to me, and I've purchased that probably in like six different formats. Uh, um, but if I could only choose one album, I probably wouldn't choose that because the songs are kind of part of the atmosphere. Like I can hear blister in the sun, wherever I go kiss off has become, you know, added up. Those are songs that I don't know. I, I can hear outside of just putting on that record. I think I would choose something that I could only hear on that record, like if I was going to hear it. So I want to say I would choose Fugazi's first record, uh, but it's an EP. That seems like a weird thing I would uh, pick because it's only six songs, and, you know, but, you know, it does have Margin Walker, and I really love that song. Um, and also it's important to me because I grew up, you know, the DC punk scene, and that, you know, was the record but I think if there's only one record I could have, it would. I would probably say it would be Slater Kinney's uh, one, uh, one Beat, just because it has sympathy on it, which for me, when my child was going through surgery, um, that was a song I really leaned on heavily. Sympathy is a song uh, about Corin Tucker. Her child was a premature baby, and she just has this lament of a song about being a mother and worrying about your child and not being able to do anything about it. And it extends to worrying about all the children and having a child who had to have brain surgery. That to me is a song. that's so important to me and I can't live without it. So if I had could only replace one record, it would have to be one beat just because of, of the song sympathy. Yeah. See, I can't, uh, I don't know if I could do it. I, I don't know if I could do that well. Uh, for starters, all of my albums are digital, so Ugh. I know. Yeah. Ugh. So, so if somebody stole my phone, I would say either Panic of the Disco, Vices and Virtues, My Chemical Romances, The Black Parade, or the Dear Evan Hansen cast album because that one means the most to me personally. Man, Dear Evan Hansen, great play. Big uh, fan. I've seen it seven times. Jeez, look at that. Well, I oh. live right outside of New York. Okay. I've I mean I'm I'm I've been on Broadway withdrawals for like almost a year now. Well, I will be super unhip because that was my whole childhood and teenage years anyway was very unhip. Number one for me would probably have to be Stripers to Hell with the Devil <laughs> for myriad myriad reasons. You see, you laugh yes. already. You laugh already. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But. but uh, for me personally, as a teenager, when that when that album came out and where I was musically, 
you know, music was the big rebellion for me in my household, as I think it might be for, for most, you know, teenagers. That's always the kind of thing, the first rebellion, right? You're not going to listen to what your parents listen to. And it's not that I hated the the music that I, w- I grew up on. It's just that, you know, hard rock and heavy metal really resonated with me. But it was extremely frowned upon by my Southern Baptist raised mother. And so when you bring the Jesus metal into the household, yeah. she can't really fuss at you about you know imagery or lyrics or anything like that it really yeah loophole um (laughs) it remains the best album they've ever done um even when they reconstituted a little over a decade ago they've been putting out some really good albums lately but that remains i think always is going to be their number one and when i had the chance to to meet the guys in the band and them to sign something it was the liner notes from that album that i took for them to sign so that'd be it for me but right. uh my other one because i can't choose just exactly one that'd be my number right. one uh would probably be social distortions uh, somewhere between heaven and hell because that Great was album. the that was the album that i i heard songs from while i was in a record store because see, see kids it used to be before you could just click a few buttons and buy your digital album you had to go to someplace and buy the album in like some kind of physical format. And you didn't know any of the songs on it. And you didn't you, know any you, of the songs on it, right. You had to buy stuff off album art. And and that's exactly what happened. Like I heard us they played two songs off that album in the record store while I was in there. And I'm like, who is this? And I the guy told me who it was and I went and I bought the, the cassette like that day. And so that was that's probably my other big foundational one. Oh, that's a great album too. Like uh yeah, that sometimes I do. Like uh, that's yeah. like one of my favorite social distortion songs. Yeah, that's yeah, great album. All right. Well, Vinny Bartles had uh, decided to answer Brad, uh, kind of in our Twitter okay. thread there, and Vinny said uh, for him it's uh, Iron Maiden's "Number of the Beast" or, or the Cars self-titled album. And he goes two diff- really different albums. I know. But, you know, again, good choices, I would think. But, yeah, I can see that. I, I can definitely see someone who really likes the Cars' first album also liking Number of the Beast. They, one's a perfect metal album and one is a perfect uh, pop album. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, those are all great choices, too. I was pretty good at Number of the Beast, the song on Guitar Hero. See, there you go. My Zoomer commentary on that. Yeah. You know, oh man, I, I never got to see Iron Maiden in uh, in the '80s during their heyday. You know, and what was it? I think three years ago, they came through Dallas, and I was able to get some tickets with some friends of mine. And I actually left my family vacation a day early to fly back to Dallas for this concert. Wow! My my, my saint of a wife had to drive from the Panhandle of Florida back to Dallas with our three children by herself in the minivan. So. Uh, kudos to her for that, but I gotta tell you, those guys put on a spectacular show. Yeah, they yeah they they work it hard. They uh, really do. They they understand the level of devotion that their fans have for them, and they're gonna go out there and give it their all every night. Dude, people are have devotion towards a fictional mascot of that right. band. I mean, Eddie is taking on a life of his own, and I think that's really cool. Like they have some of the best album artwork out there. Once again, as we said, you would choose albums based on mm-hmm. what the record looked like. Yeah, like that's why I bought Seven Son of a Seven Son because you know it was a really cool album cover. And also, you got to respect the band that includes historical themes throughout all yeah. those albums. 
Yeah, they have the rhyme of the ancient mariner. I mean, they did all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, f- wrapping things up, back to football a little bit. Brian Arbor says, I have this question about the 2020 LSU team. Was it 2019 awesome? Oh, it, so great. And it ended in 2020. Remember, still counts as part of this year. LSU is still the 2020 national champions. Don't forget that. Yeah.